Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you. Thank you for being with us. If you would be open your Bibles to Matthew, the 25th chapter. If you want to borrow a Bible from the pew, it'll be 875 or 876 in the pew there, and uh, the Bible that's in the pew. And uh, let's open up and study God's Word together. I know the announcement was made that the young adults, I believe it was, is going to go on a ski trip in just a few weeks. Any of the rest of you that want to ski, just get out of your house in the morning. And I understand that the availability should be there. Responsibility. Isn't it interesting how God made us in such a way that we will not find a meaningful life and we really will not find a depth of peace and happiness in our life unless we live a responsible life. We looked at that several weeks ago about the origin of responsibility. But then next we looked at the idea that responsibility comes in principle form. One of the great principles of so, uh, is that of sowing and reaping. Just as certain as gravity happens every time. It's not because God is mean, spirited. It's just a part of the way God made things in the very beginning. And so it is also with the idea of sowing and reaping as it deals with responsibility. When we sow irresponsible seeds in our life, there will be negative consequences that always come out of that. And remember we talked about they come later and greater than what has been sown. But also we looked last time, last Sunday evening, we looked at the fact that to be responsible, there are times that we need to make sure that we do not take to God in prayer things that we ought to be going out and doing ourselves. Now, we emphasized last week, it wasn't an effort to try to diminish the importance of prayer. And if it's important to us, God actually says, cast your cares upon me, 1 Peter 5 and 7, for I care for you. And so it's not that God's saying, don't pray about it. But we do see in Scripture that God would say, after you've prayed about it, now go and do something about it. You remember last week we looked at God telling Joshua to get up off his face. He had gone to the ground and he was talking to God. And finally God said, now get up and do something about it. There's sin in your camp and you need to sanctify the camp. And so we did. So we've looked at the origin. We looked at the principle. And we've looked at even the plea. There's a time to get up and do something about it. But you know, sometimes what we all need is a good story. You know how sometimes a story just brings everything that you've learned to life. And I'm not suggesting this one parable can bring everything to life about what we've talked about already and responsibility. But in this parable, we do learn a lot about responsibility. Will you join with me? Let's read the first couple of verses and then we'll pause and, and uh, talk about those and then we'll move forward. Look at Matthew, the 25th chapter. We have a couple of parables back to back about the kingdom of heaven. The first one up at the very beginning with kingdom of heaven was like 10 virgins and the plea there was for us to be prepared when, when Jesus comes again. And then we go to verse 14 and we see another teaching, a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And notice the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went out on his journey. Pretty straightforward little story, isn't it? 
a man that had servants and, and he wanted to leave his resources, not setting idle, but the man wanted his resources to be working for him while he was away. And so he called three servants. Now, isn't it interesting? We would expect the man to have more than three servants, but there were three that he called that he trusted enough to say, I'm going to leave what I own in your hands and I want you to invest it. I want you to allow my resources to make resources, additional resources while I am away. Now we see from the next verses that we'll read in just a moment, he was away for a long time. But did you notice when he left them, he did not leave them in an equal allotment. To one he gave five. But did you notice to another, he only gave two talents. How would you feel? Be honest. Be honest with yourself. How would you feel if you were the two-talent man and you just watched the master give to another one, not twice of what you have, two and a half times what you have? He gave five. He only gave two to the next man. But then what if you were that third man? He gave only one talent to that third man. Now, if there's anything at all ordinary about you, when you were a child, somewhere in your lifetime, these words came out of your mouth, right? That's not fair. And if you had a mom or dad or a grandmother or grandfather that was half worth their salt, you know what their answer was. Life is not fair. Isn't that interesting that in this parable, that's exactly what we see right here. Life is not even. Life is not equal. Now, if you want to make just an interesting observation about our human nature and to some degree, even about our observation of spirituality, and I don't even know exactly what to do with this. I think it does reveal the fact that probably we misuse the word blessing from time to time, but maybe it's not a misuse of the word blessing. But isn't it interesting, if you were the one talent person, I want you to imagine going home that evening and, and, and you're sitting around your family and they're like, what's wrong? And you're like, I'm just so frustrated. It's just not fair. I've been a good servant just as long as, as the other two. And you know what? Today the master went on a long trip and he gave me one talent. And, and the family gasped. Really? Because one talent, depending on if it's a talent of gold or talent of silver, but depending what it was, a talent could be the equivalent of 20 years of salary. We're talking about a great sum of money. And, and, and you can imagine, he's, I, I just can't believe it. They, they only, he only gave me one. And the rest of the people in the house are saying, he, he left in your care one time? And then, see, here's where irresponsibility always comes into play. Comparison. Yeah, but if you think that's a lot, you ought to see. He left, he left the other servant twice as much as what he left me. Oh, and that, that's not all. If, if that's not enough... He left the other one five times what he left to me. And then, go home, if you will, with the five-talent servant. He's all happy. He's going home. He's like, why are you so happy? You're not going to believe. Master's going on a journey. He decided to leave his resources. And you know what? He only gave one, one of the servants. He only gave them one talent. Mm -hmm. And he gave another one two talents. Hey, family, you, you know what he gave me? I want to tell you, I am so blessed. 
He gave me five talents to look after. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that interesting? It's the very same story. And this servant is crying out, unfair, unfair. And their servant is saying, God has blessed me so richly. Is there something wrong with that scenario? Is it the fact that here he says he gave to each one according to his ability? Isn't it interesting that as far as we know, God still hands out opportunities and abilities and, and resources. He still hands them out according to what we have the ability to take care of and to manage. You see, where we run into problems is we begin thinking that everything in life is to be even. You and I are to have exactly the same resources. We're to have exactly the same opportunities. We're to have exactly the same abilities. And friends, I just want at this point to make this simple point, and that is we're just not thinking clearly. It's never been that way. It hasn't been that way since the beginning of time, and it will never be that way. And so if, if we're going to try to make sure that uh, out of my friends, I want to make sure that none of them make more than me. I want to make sure that none of them have more time off than I have. I want to make sure that none of them have a job that is less difficult than me. I want to make sure that, that none of my friends end up in a house bigger than mine. I want to make sure that they don't drive cars newer than mine. You're setting yourself up for misery. Because the world has never been even, and it never will be even, and God never expects you to make it even. God never expects you to look over to your peers, and then it's your job to make everything come up to even. You'll drive yourself mad, and you'll spend a lot of time complaining and eventually being irresponsible with what God has given you. So we see this story that starts out very interesting because it starts out uneven. It starts out what some would cry out, unfair, and others would cry out, I am so richly blessed. But the reality is the same was expected of each one according to what God had given them. You probably know this, but would you read along with me and, and let's see how this unfolds and let's see what we can learn as it pertains to responsibility. Verse 16, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done. Notice it's the very same answer. And that's important because there was not 
the same amount gained. One gained two additional talents, one gained five additional talents. And I know immediately we're saying, but, but one started out with five and one did two. But think about it. One did not gain as much as the other. But yet they both received the same reward. And that's an important principle for us to see here. And so he also heard that, well done, you good and faithful servant. And, and uh, enter into the joy of your Lord. But then look at 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and I went and I hid your talents in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. The first two, even though they had uneven amounts allotted to them, they both received a wonderful reward. Friends, I know this is elementary, but I beg you to believe it tonight. God is not looking at you and saying, I tell you what, if you can do as much as that person over there can do, I am going to be so pleased with you. He's not. He's not. What God wants to know is what are you going to do with the resources he's given you? The ability he's given you. The opportunity he's given you. The skills that he's given you. The network and the relationships that he's put in your life. That's all he wants to know. Are you going to do what you can do with what God has given you? He's not looking over at your neighbor and say, look at this five talent person. And saying, can, can you do as much as them? And the reason that's so important to understand is because when we start the comparison game, if we are a two-talent person, and we start the comparison game with a five-talent person, before long we pull the old pilot trick and we just say, I'm washing my hands of this. I can't ever do as much as them. And, and that's, that's what the church is all about, is all those people that can do everything and I can't do everything. So because I can't do everything, I'm going to do nothing. And you know where that puts us? Now, in this story, when that's our mindset, we've stopped being the two-talent man and we started being the one-talent servant. Notice what the one-talent servant did. We've already read it, but look back there in 24. He started, of all things, accusing the master. Now, that's a serious accusation because in this story, the master is, is like God. And isn't it interesting that he starts belittling or criticizing the master? Oh, I, I tell you why I took my talent and I buried it. It's not my problem. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's your reputation. Everybody knows how hard you are. What was he doing here? Two things. Two things that lead to irresponsibility. And that is making excuses and the blame game. Oh, I'll tell you why. My excuse is you. And also while we're at it, you're the blame. I can list you the negative things about you that cause me, the third one, to be afraid. Have you noticed that fear is never a justifiable reason for not doing right? Fear is never a justifiable reason to not do right. God's not going to look at you and say, I really want you to do right, but now that I recognize that you were simply afraid, I excuse you. You don't have to do right. Fear is never a justifiable reason. Well, what about excuses? You know, Benjamin Franklin, I really don't know if Benjamin Franklin said all the things people say he does. He, you know, him and Abe, they get all the great quotes. But, but ben, Benjamin Franklin, it is said that he said, a person who is really good 
at making excuses is seldom good at anything else. You see what he was saying there, don't you? The idea is, what are you going to spend your time doing? Trying to figure out how to excuse yourself from things? Or are you going to roll up your sleeves and figure out how to do what is your responsibility to do? And so isn't it interesting here that we have three servants and all three were given very different amounts from one talent to two talents to five talents. And the first, the fifth and the second talent man, they, they were rewarded from God and they were esteemed highly from God, not because the number of talents that they produced, but because of what they did with what they had been given to them. And the one talent man, I know this is obvious, but let me state the obvious. The one talent man was not punished by God because he only was dealing with one talent. The punishment that was given to him was because of his failure to do anything productive with the one talent. As a matter of fact, let's move to that portion of the story. Notice when, when Jesus, or, or in Jesus telling the story, the master speaks up about this man. Remember, we just read verse 24 and 25 where, where the man is accusing him. And, and, and notice what the master says in 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew what, or you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Isn't it interesting that the master's observation is you have been wicked and you have been lazy. Let's think about those two as it pertains to irresponsibility. Wickedness is dealing with any moral decisions in an irresponsible fashion. It is irresponsible to cheat on your taxes. You're just not dealing with a moral decision in a responsible way. It is irresponsible to lie to a friend because you're trying to save face. That's just a moral decision that is irresponsible. It is irresponsible to, to partake in things that, that you know are addictive. And then later you say, oh, I just wish I would have never done this. I just wish I wasn't addicted to it. Well, how did you get there in the first place? I decided to play around with something that bites back. It's morally irresponsible. Gambling, the lottery, they're morally irresponsible. Oh, I've been doing that for years. It, it doesn't bother me. Later and greater, it will. Later and greater, it will. You see, throughout our life, there are things that when we're irresponsible, the Lord can look at us as a servant and say, 
wicked. Don't do that. It's irresponsible. It's wicked. But then notice this next one, because it's real interesting, the choice of description here. The next one wasn't necessarily him saying, hey, you've done something wicked, although you could make an argument that laziness is wicked. But, but think about it. The next one, he says, hey, you're a wicked servant. But then he finally just says, you're lazy. You're a wicked and lazy servant. In other words, you won't roll up your sleeves. You know why the five talent servant was able to make five more talents? You know why the two talent servant was able to make two more talents? Somewhere along the way, they rolled their sleeves up and they said, this is the work that I have to do. Let me get busy doing it. What if the one talent man, instead of digging a hole and burying it, what if he would have said, let me roll up my sleeves just like that servant and just like that servant is rolling up their sleeves? What would the outcome have been? Most likely the outcome would have been that he also would have made additional talents. I beg you to embrace work. I beg you to embrace the idea that I want to saturate myself with things that, are, that, that require responsibility. And it doesn't have to be fun. How many of you have gone on a short-term mission trip only on the second or third day to think to yourself, this isn't so fun. I don't know if I'll go again next year. I would just say, give me a break. You're going to base whether or not you're going to go and try to save souls on whether or not it's fun. Hey, if you enjoy it and it's fun, that's just gravy. That's wonderful. But the, the reality is a lot of ministry would get done if people would quit saying, you know, I, I, I participated in that ministry for a few weeks. I participated in that ministry a few months. But, you know, I didn't really enjoy it. Really. That's how you base what you're going to involve your life in? If it's enjoyable and if I can be smiling while I do it, I'll do it. But once it becomes work, you can count me out. I don't do ministry at church if it requires responsibility. I've got to show up on a day that I didn't want to be here. And I might have to do work that at the very moment I'm doing it, I could be thinking of 10 other things I'd rather be doing. No, I don't want, I don't want that. No, I only do the ministries that are fun. If you can make them fun, I'll take part in it. What relationships you share in? Oh, I tell you what, I'm, I'm a good friend if the person can make the friendship easy. I'm a good spouse if my spouse can make marriage easy. But listen, if I got to start working at it, uh-uh, no. I only share in relationships that are fun. Matter of fact, I quit going to a particular Bible class because it wasn't fun anymore. Brethren, you're on a slippery slope that does not have a good ending. If you base your decisions in life of what you're doing based on whether or not it's work. I would encourage you instead to look at things and when you see something that looks like work, it's probably something really good to be involved in. And if you look at it and you say, whew, that ministry right there is going to be a lot of hard work. That's probably the one you ought to sign up for because it's going to pay huge dividends because that's just the way sowing and reaping works. So this evening, 
Are we going to have an even playing field? Never has been, never will be. There will always be some of us that are just one talent people and there will always be some of you that are five talent people. And you know what? God is just as pleased with one of us as the other because he's not asking us how many talents can you make. He's asking, what will you do with the talent I gave you? That's all he ever wants to know. And then the next thing he wants to know is, will you be moral with it? Don't do something wicked with your life. Be moral. But then the next thing he wants to know is, will you roll up your sleeves and will you get to work? Because that's what produces a life that is responsible. Let me close with this that, you know, in the last few years, I can't help but read this in 29. And, and also, if we, we took the time to, to turn over to uh, Luke, the 12th chapter, and the last part of verse 48, it'd be the very same. I'm just going to read this last part of verse 48 of, of Luke 12. And I can't help but think about the Mount Juliet congregation. And, and when I think about the Mount Juliet congregation this standpoint, it kind of, I'll be honest with you, it makes me nervous. It kind of gives me an uncomfortable feeling in the pit of my stomach. This is the last part of, of Luke 12 and 48. And he says, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. That principle is the way this parable in Matthew 25 ended. You got this 10 talent now. He started out five talent. You have now this individual with this 10 talent. And what's the master saying? I suppose the master's saying, hey, I'm, I, you need to go out there and, and use these talents some more. And you, know, you can imagine this 10 talent saying, whoa, okay, we have more work to do. But you know the end of that story, right? We just read it just a moment ago. When the one talent man didn't deliver, you remember what was done with the one talent? The master said, give the one talent to the one that has 10. To much is given, much will be required. Brethren, God is not looking at the Mount Juliet congregation and saying, hey, are, are you doing more than that congregation down the road? Are you doing more than that congregation that, that, that's in another state across the Mississippi? Are you doing more than that, that congregation that's on another continent on, on, on the other side of the world? You know what the Lord's doing? The Lord knows the vast resources that this congregation has. I can't imagine a congregation having more resources than this congregation has. People that can do anything and everything make up this congregation. People with experiences that is unbelievable. People with resources, with talents, with abilities. And you know what God is looking at us? He is not looking at us comparing saying, you're doing a lot more than other congregations do. He's looking at us and saying, you know, I've given you much. Because I expect much. And tonight, I beg you to realize it starts with each of us individually, but collectively, for God's glory, there's much this congregation ought to be doing because God has given us so much. But let's sing a song of encouragement and think about us individually.
And if you need to get your life aligned with the master and get your will aligned to his will and get your talents aligned to his will, we'd love to encourage and, and just and help and, and, and take your name before the Lord. If, if you need to confess sin and pray forgiveness, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ, we'd be honored to have a part in that. But let's all leave here tonight being responsible, giving God our best and to him be the glory. If we can have you.